0: Chapter nineteen part five of supplements to the second book from the world as will and idea, volume two by Arthur Schopenhauer. Translated by R. B. Haldane and J. Kemp, this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter nineteen on the primacy of the will in self-consciousness. Part five everywhere those who are responsible for any piece of work appeal in the event of its turning out unsatisfactorily to their good intentions of which there was no lack hereby they believe that they secure the essential that for which they are properly answerable and their true self the inadequacy of their faculties on the other hand they regard as the want of a suitable tool if a man is stupid we excuse him by saying that he cannot help it but if we were to excuse a bad man on the same grounds we would be laughed at and yet the one like the other is innate this proves that the will is the man proper the intellect merely its tool thus it is always only our willing that is regarded as depending upon ourselves that is as the expression of our true nature and for which we are therefore made responsible therefore it is absurd and unjust if we are taken to task for our beliefs thus for our knowledge for we are obliged to regard this as something which although it changes in us is as little in our power as the events of the external world and here also it is clear that the will alone is the inner and true nature of man the intellect on the contrary with its operations which go on as regularly as the external world stands to the will in the relation of something external to it a mere tool High mental capacities have always been regarded as the gift of nature or the gods, and on that account they have been called gaben, begabung, ingenii dotes, gifts, a man highly gifted, regarding them as something different from the man himself, something that has fallen to his lot through favour. No one, on the contrary, has ever taken this view of moral excellences, although they also are innate they have rather always been regarded as something proceeding from the man himself essentially belonging to him nay constituting his very self but it follows now from this that the will is the true nature of man the intellect on the other hand is secondary a tool a gift answering to this all religions promise a reward beyond life in eternity for excellences of the will or heart but none for excellences of the head or understanding virtue expects its reward in that world prudence hopes for it in this genius again neither in this world nor in that it is its own reward accordingly the will is the eternal part the intellect the temporal connection communion intercourse among men is based as a rule upon relations which concern the will not upon such as concern the intellect the first kind of communion may be called the material the other the formal of the former kind are the bonds of family and relationship and further all connections that rest upon any common aim or interest such as that of trade or profession of the corporation the party the faction etc. in these it merely amounts to a question of views of aims along with which there may be the greatest diversity of intellectual capacity and culture therefore not only can any one live in peace and unity with any one else but can act with him and be allied to him for the common good of both marriage also is a bond of the heart not of the head it is different however with merely formal communion which aims only at an exchange of thought this demands a certain equality of intellectual capacity and culture great differences in this respect place between man and man an impassable gulf such lies for example between a man of great mind and a fool between a scholar and a peasant between a courtier and a sailor natures as heterogeneous as these have therefore trouble in making themselves intelligible so long as it is a question of exchanging thoughts ideas and views nevertheless close material friendship may exist between them and they may be faithful allies conspirators or men under mutual pledges for in all that concerns the will alone which includes friendship enmity honesty fidelity falseness and treachery they are perfectly homogeneous formed of the same clay and neither mind nor culture make any difference here indeed here the ignorant man often shames the scholar the sailor the courtier for at the different grades of culture there are the same virtues and vices emotions and passions and although somewhat modified in their expression they very soon mutually recognize each other even in the most heterogeneous individuals upon which the similarly disposed agree and the opposed are at enmity brilliant qualities of mind win admiration but never affection this is reserved for the moral the qualities of the character every one will choose as his friend the honest the good-natured and even the agreeable complacent man who easily concurs rather than the merely able man indeed many will be preferred to the latter on account of insignificant accidental outward qualities which just suit the inclination of another only the man who has much mind himself will wish able men for his society his friendship on the other hand he will bestow with reference to moral qualities for upon this depends his really high appreciation of a man in whom a single good trait of character conceals and expiates great want of understanding the known goodness of a character makes us patient and yielding towards weaknesses of understanding as also towards the dullness and childishness of age a distinctly noble character along with the entire absence of intellectual excellence and in culture presents itself as lacking nothing while on the contrary even the greatest mind if affected with important moral faults will always appear blamable for as torches and fireworks become pale and insignificant in the presence of the sun so intellect nay genius and also beauty are outshone and eclipsed by the goodness of the heart when this appears in a high degree it can make up for the want of those qualities to such an extent that one is ashamed of having missed them even the most limited understanding and also grotesque ugliness whenever extraordinary goodness of heart declares itself as accompanying them become as it were transfigured outshone by a beauty of a higher kind for now a wisdom speaks out of them before which all other wisdom must be dumb for goodness of heart is a transcendent quality it belongs to an order of things that reaches beyond this life and is incommensurable with any other perfection when it is present in a high degree it makes the heart so large that it embraces the world so that now everything lies within it no longer without for it identifies all natures with its own it then extends to others also that boundless indulgence which otherwise each one only bestows on himself such a man is incapable of becoming angry even if the malicious mockery and sneers of others have drawn attention to his own intellectual or physical faults he only reproaches himself in his heart for having been the occasion of such expressions and therefore without doing violence to his own feelings proceeds to treat those persons in the kindest manner confidently hoping that they will turn from their error with regard to him and recognise themselves in him also what is wit and genius against this what is bacon of verulam our estimation of our own selves leads to the same result as we have here obtained by considering our estimation of others how different is the self-satisfaction which we experience in a moral regard from that which we experience in an intellectual regard the former arises when looking back on our conduct we see that with great sacrifices we have practised fidelity and honesty that we have helped many forgiven many have behaved better to others than they have behaved to us so that we can say with king lear i am a man more sinned against than sinning and to its fullest extent if perhaps some noble deed shines in our memory a deep seriousness will accompany the still peace which such a review affords us and if we see that others are inferior to us here this will not cause us any joy but we will rather deplore it and sincerely wish that they were as we are how entirely differently does the knowledge of our intellectual superiority affect us its ground-base is really the saying of hobbes quoted above omnis animi voluptas omnisque alicritas in eos sita est quis habeat quibuscum cum conferen se, posit magnifice sentire de se ipso arrogant triumphant vanity proud contemptuous looking down on others inordinate delight in the consciousness of decided and considerable superiority akin to pride of physical advantages that is the result here this opposition between the two kinds of self-satisfaction shows that the one concerns our true inner and eternal nature the other a more external merely temporal and indeed scarcely more than a mere physical excellence the intellect is in fact simply the function of the brain the will on the contrary is that whose function is the whole man according to his being and nature if looking without us we reflect that o vios vraxus ide techni macra, that is vita brevis ars longa and consider how the greatest and most beautiful minds often when they have scarcely reached the summit of their power and the greatest scholars when they have only just attained to a thorough knowledge of their science are snatched away by death we are confirmed in this that the meaning and end of life is not intellectual but moral the complete difference between the mental and moral qualities displays itself lastly in the fact that the intellect suffers very important changes through time while the will and character remain untouched by it, the newborn child has as yet no use of its understanding, but obtains it within the first two months to the extent of perception and apprehension of the things in the external world, a process which I have described more fully in my essay über das Sein und die Farben, page ten of the second and third edition. The growth of reason to the point of speech and thereby of thought follows this first and most important step much more slowly generally only in the third year yet the early childhood remains hopelessly abandoned to silliness and folly primarily because the brain still lacks physical completeness which both as regards its size and texture it only attains in the seventh year but then for its energetic activity there is still wanting the antagonism of the genital system it therefore only begins with puberty through this however the intellect has only attained to the capacity for its psychical improvement this itself can only be won by practice experience and instruction thus as soon as the mind has escaped from the folly of childhood it falls into the snares of innumerable errors prejudices and chimeras sometimes of the absurdest and crudest kind which it obstinately sticks to till experience gradually removes them and many of them also are insensibly lost all this takes many years to happen so that one grants it majority indeed soon after the twentieth year yet has placed full maturity years of discretion not before the fortieth year but while this psychical education resting upon help from without is still in process of growth the inner physical energy of the brain already begins to sink again this has reached its real culminating point about the thirtieth year on account of its dependence upon the pressure of blood and the effect of the pulsation upon the brain and through this again upon the predominance of the arterial over the venous system and the fresh tenderness of the brain fibre and also on account of the energy of the genital system after the thirty-fifth year a slight diminution of the physical energy of the brain becomes noticeable which through the gradually approaching predominance of the venous over the arterial system and also through the increasing firmer and drier consistency of the brain fibre more and more takes place and would be much more observable if it were not that on the other hand the psychical perfecting through exercise experience increase of knowledge and acquired skill in the use of it counteracts it an antagonism which fortunately lasts to an advanced age for the brain becomes more and more like a worn-out instrument but yet the diminution of the original energy of the intellect resting entirely upon organic conditions continues slowly indeed but unceasingly the faculty of original conception the imagination the plastic power the memory become noticeably weaker and so it goes on step by step downwards into old age garrulous without memory half-conscious and ultimately quite childish the will on the contrary is not affected by all this becoming this change and vicissitude but is from beginning to end unalterably the same willing does not require to be learned like knowing but succeeds perfectly at once the newborn child makes violent movements rages and cries it wills in the most vehement manner though it does not yet know what it wills for the medium of motives the intellect is not yet fully developed the will is in darkness concerning the external world in which its objects lie and now rages like a prisoner against the walls and bars of his dungeon but little by little it becomes light at once the fundamental traits of universal human willing and at the same time the individual modification of it here present announce themselves the already appearing character shows itself indeed at first in weak and uncertain outline on account of the defective service of the intellect which has to present it with motives but to the attentive observer it soon declares its complete presence and in a short time it becomes unmistakable the characteristics appear which last through the whole of life the principal tendencies of the will the easily excited emotions the ruling passion declare themselves therefore the events at school stand to those of the future life for the most part as the dumb show in hamlet that precedes the play to be given at the court and foretells its content in the form of pantomime stands to the play itself but it is by no means possible to prognosticate in the same way the future intellectual capacities of the man from those shown in the boy rather as a rule the ingenia precocia prodigies turn out blockheads Genius, on the contrary, is often in childhood of slow conception and comprehends with difficulty just because it comprehends deeply. This is how it is that every one relates laughing and without reserve the follies and stupidities of his childhood. For example, Goethe, how he threw all the kitchen crockery out of the window, Dichtung und Wahrheit, Volume 1, page seven. For we know that all this only concerns what changes. On the other hand, a prudent man will not favour us with the bad features the malicious or deceitful actions of his youth for he feels that they also bear witness to his present character i have been told that when gall the phrenologist and investigator of man had to put himself into connection with a man as yet unknown to him he used to get him to speak about his youthful years and actions in order if possible to gather from these the distinctive traits of his character because this must still be the same now this is the reason why we are indifferent to the follies and want of understanding of our youthful years and even look back on them with smiling satisfaction while the bad features of character even of that time the ill-natured actions and the misdeeds then committed exist even in old age as inextinguishable reproaches and trouble our consciences now just as the character appears complete so it remains unaltered to old age the advance of age which gradually consumes the intellectual powers leaves the moral qualities untouched the goodness of the heart still makes the old man honoured and loved when his head already shows the weaknesses which are the commencement of second childhood gentleness patience honesty veracity disinterestedness philanthropy etc remain through the whole life and are not lost through the weaknesses of old age in every clear moment of the worn-out old man they come forth undiminished like the sun from the winter clouds and on the other hand malice spite avarice hard-heartedness infidelity egoism and baseness of every kind also remain undiminished to our latest years we would not believe but would laugh at anyone who said to us in former years i was a malicious rogue but now i am an honest and noble-minded man therefore sir walter scott in the fortunes of nigel has shown very beautifully in the case of the old usurer how burning avarice egoism and injustice are still in their full strength like a poisonous plant in autumn when the intellect has already become childish the only alterations that take place in our inclinations are those which result directly from the decrease of our physical strength and with it of our capacities for enjoyment thus voluptuousness will make way for intemperance the love of splendour for avarice and vanity for ambition just like the man who before he has a beard will wear a false one and later when his own beard has become grey will dye it brown thus while all organic forces muscular power the senses the memory wit understanding genius wear themselves out and in old age become dull the will alone remains undecayed and unaltered the strength and the tendency of willing remains the same indeed in many points the will shows itself still more decided in age thus in the clinging to life which it is well known increases also in the firmness and persistency with regard to what it has once embraced in obstinacy which is explicable from the fact that the susceptibility of the intellect for other impressions and thereby the movement of the will by motives streaming in upon it has diminished hence the implacable nature of the anger and hate of old persons the young man's wrath is like light straw on fire but like red-hot steel is the old man's ire old ballad from all these considerations it becomes unmistakable to the more penetrating glance that while the intellect has to run through a long series of gradual developments but then like everything physical must encounter decay the will takes no part in this except so far as it has to contend at first with the imperfection of its tool the intellect and again at last with its worn-out condition but itself appears perfect and remains unchanged not subject to the laws of time and of becoming and passing away in it thus in this way it makes itself known as that which is metaphysical not itself belonging to the phenomenal world Nine. the universally used and generally very well understood expressions heart and head have sprung from a true feeling of the fundamental distinction here in question therefore they are also apt and significant and occur in all languages nec cor nec caput habet says seneca of the emperor claudius ludus et morte claudii caesaris chapter eight the heart this primum mobile of the animal life has with perfect justice been chosen as the symbol nay the synonym of the will as the primary kernel of our phenomenon and denotes this in opposition to the intellect which is exactly identical with the head all that in the widest sense is matter of the will as wish passion joy grief goodness wickedness also what we are wont to understand under gemut and what homer expresses through philon itor is attributed to the heart accordingly we say he has a bad heart his heart is in the thing it comes from his heart it cuts him to the heart it breaks his heart his heart bleeds the heart leaps for joy who can see the heart of man it is heart-rending heart-crushing heart-breaking heart-inspiring heart-touching he is good-hearted hard-hearted heartless stout-hearted faint-hearted etc etc quite specially however love affairs are called affairs of the heart affairs de coeur, because the sexual impulse is the focus of the will and the selection with reference to it constitutes the chief concern of natural human volition the ground of which i shall show in a full chapter supplementary to the fourth book byron in don juan chapter eleven verse thirty four is satirical about love being to women an affair of the head instead of an affair of the heart on the other hand the head denotes everything that is matter of knowledge hence a man of head a good head a fine head a bad head to lose one's head to keep one's head uppermost etc heart and head signifies the whole man but the head is always the second the derived for it is not the centre but the highest efflorescence of the body when a hero dies his heart is embalmed not his brain on the other hand we like to preserve the skull of the poet the artist and the philosopher so raphael's skull was preserved in the accademia di saint Luca at rome though it has lately been proved not to be genuine in stockholm in 1820, the skull of descartes was sold by auction End of chapter 19, part 5. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.